Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proobcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Proobitude, located somewhere. That's all I can say. I have someone with me. Who are you? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Mm. It's good to see you. Why, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, hey, everybody. We're going to join hands and join hearts and try to find some solace in each other's company. So light one up and pour one down. Whatever it takes to get you through the night. We're past our second impeachment. Why are you playing Aretha Franklin Respect? Because the Dallas Mavericks this week tried to stop playing the national anthem at their games. And it lasted for about five days. Uh, it, well, it lasted 13 games, apparently. Uh, Jim, Mel Hill written brilliantly about it, the wonderful sports writer that she is. Mark Cuban decided to just stop playing the national anthem. There's no reason for it. There's no uh, rationale for it. No one's ever figured out why the national anthem gets played in front of games. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with sports. And what does it matter? If we're at the Olympics and you're playing everyone's anthem, fine. Or the World Cup or whatever. Then it kind of helps identify which country. Other than that, yuck! <laughs> so they stop playing it. And this is at the NBA, right? The Dallas Mavs NBA Club. Especially if your national anthem is a bit lacking. One. And, and um, two, uh, the national anthem in our uh, country, notably written by a man who was wildly pro-slavery, Francis mm-hmm. Scott Key. Yes. And who in the second or third verse talks about the the slave and the, you know, what you not. Because... During the War of 1812, British people offered um, enslaved black people in the United States their freedom if they joined the British forces. And so they felt that there were black people fighting against them who unfairly wanted their freedom to fight against the country that was enslaving them. You follow? So, in any case, History what happened... History has so many gems. This will this really hip you to the state of play as things right out. The governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, is a, really one of the worst governors in the United States. Texas has had a huge outbreak of COVID. And there's he, there's competition. No, Tate Reeves, Brian Kemp, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, he, uh, Christy Noem, uh, uh, Kim Reynolds. So uh, Texas uh, has a lot of urgency going on in its state. First of all, they have a problem with poverty. Second of all, whenever they have giant floods and everything, they can't contain it. Third of all, they don't hold any of their corporations to account, like as look per the last giant flood in Houston, where there was poison dumped into everyone's neighborhood. So what would his priority be? He gave a, an edict that there's going to be a national anthem act and that you have to play it before all sporting events in well, Texas. Well, that would be the priority. On the it? same week as tonight, as we record, on the 16th, 15th here, uh, uh, Texas is freezing. There's right. people. Houston doesn't have power. One third of um, customers in Texas don't have power. Houston and Austin are blacked out. Not all the way. And I hope you're staying warm if you're out there. I really am. It's a very serious situation. Yes. ERCOT is the company that runs power in the state of Texas. They're completely private, and they don't operate under the premise that they have to provide power all the time. They operate on the Uber premise. When you need them the most is when they can raise their rates for you. So they're scrambling to get the... How many people live in Texas? 20-some million? Remember how awesome it was in the UK when the, the trains went private? Oh, yeah, because then you never got one on time again, and then the food went right downhill. Um, and uh, So that's what's going on in Texas. His priority was the national anthem. They're all talk. It's all about serving corporate masters, and this is the GOP in a nutshell. There's no governance. There's no even pretense of governance. What they want is to own the libs and be mean to people. Oh, they're talking about cutting people's... Uh, um, uh, money off in their uh, House uh, legislature and Senate because people weren't being observant enough of the national anthem when the real issue is 
they can't deal with inclement weather and and uh, the climate change is going to get them as bad as it's gotten in California or any other state. They have floods. Now they have snow and they never have snow. You've been to Texas a million times. Well, funny how with climate change, there's not a safe space, uh -uh. you know? And this time of year, frankly, you know, you and I were talking about last year because I always have to fly to a million gigs. And when you have to take a connecting flight to the East Coast, uh, it's almost always safest at this time of year in February to go through Dallas because Dallas never has bad weather. It's always 80 degrees Except there. now. Except this year. So do you right, there to used to be uh, swirling uh, piles of snow in the Chicago airport. Always. And Newark and uh, any uh, Detroit, you know, any place you're going to go, uh, East Coast, Northeast or uh, Midwest, Upper Midwest, always snowed in. So you never wanted to fly through Minneapolis if you're going to New York or something. You always wanted to fly through... Texas. I, I read today that San Francisco hasn't had below 33 degrees since the early 90s. Yeah. Oh, no. It's really we're bad. we're heating up on this side yeah. of things. It's not good. Well, anyway, I, that's why uh, my idea has always been... Aretha recorded Respect on Valentine's Day in 1967. Right. And Otis Redding had to capitulate. He had to say, you own this song. Yeah. I believe the quote that they always use is, that little girl stole that song right out from under me. Uh, she was only in her 20s then, and it was her sister. I bet who, he said other things as well, he, because he, she owns the song. Oh, very much so. And she wrote extra lyrics to it, and the Sakatumis were her sister's idea. Mm -hmm. um, she changed the uh, uh, some of the lyrics around. And if you listen to his version, it's very good, obviously. Otis Redding's version is awesome. Right. But her version's way funkier and gets the job done. And no one listens to Otis's as much as they listen to hers. How about those apples? Uh, Aretha Franklin never put her hand to anything that... By the way, when I drove to get the groceries today, the serious channels changed to the Aretha Franklin channel. Really? Yeah, the Soul Channel. And really? I think it was because it was this week or whatever, but they were just playing one after the next, and that well, was really... that's overdue. Yeah. Tell me about it. They gave bloody... Tom, uh, uh, like Dire Straits has a bloody channel. You know what no. I mean? I'm just saying, like Aretha Franklin. Um, what, like, what was the line in Train Spotting? I don't hate us. No, about <laughs> about Dire Straits. Oh right, they're for, he goes to the. Uh, uh, he's trying to kick heroin, and he hasn't had any. And he's just finished jonesing, and his parents take him to the pub night down the club. And the band starts playing Dire Straits, and the mother turns to him. And he's drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette because he's trying, trying to, to cling to life at that point. And his mother goes, oh, Dire Straits, I there for the young, but Olkin and Joey. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to choke you to death. I hate Because they're hipsters who listen to Iggy Pop, and they don't like you know, Dire Straits. It's so square. Mm. Not so funny. Aretha Franklin is a genius because, yes. um, like so many people, she literally sang in every genre. There is not a genre she missed. She was a wonderful classical singer. She was a marvelous jazz singer. She's a sensational gospel singer. She's you mean an when astonishing... she stepped in for Pavarotti? Yeah. No, but there, we saw her sing opera in that Bill Clinton thing as yes. well. You know, like yes. she she could sing jazz, funk, rhythm, was, and blues. she was politically involved. She oh, was completely. involved in her community. Yeah. Uh, even at the end, she was driving around uh, taking charge of her neighborhood. The fact that she took um, Spanish Harlem. And she fed people. Oh, all the time. She took Spanish On the road, she was cooking yeah. in hotels. Right, Jennifer like, Holliday. she just never stopped. So they were standing at the Waldorf, and she had a kitchenette in her room, and Aretha called her and said, come on up, I'm making fried chicken. 
Um, and that was in New York. In at the Waldorf. At, but that reminds me of um, uh, Fat Domino, mm, who always, who cooked, always cooked for yeah, himself right. because he it, nothing. Well, nothing was going to be as good. Right. That's Domino throughout his life had a pot going on the stove every day of his life. He had eight kids. And then later when he lived alone or with just his wife, he had a retinue of people in. And he said he spent a couple hundred dollars a day on groceries. Which reminds me that uh, Mardi Gras in New Orleans is not just a big deal. It's everything. And this year it's houses that are the floats. Which I know, is isn't that great? so cool. They're, so they're putting all of the statuary, all, decorating houses, and people are touring. And, and I was watching uh, one family on the news, and they said, this is better. Because, really? Because there's not a crush of people. Yeah. And you can really see all the visuals. There was one that just cracked me up, which was giant crayfish in a hot tub. Was the house? Yeah, that was. And then, of course, there's the big Frida one. And, you know, like, it's just it's just so delightful. Wow, that is cute. Colorful and fun. Here, let's play this since you're talking about Mardi Gras. My grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. The Dixie Cups. My grandma told your grandma. And there was a famous uh, American, well, he lives in America now. He's, he's um, African, via Sweden, now American. And he decided to take the roux out of the gumbo. We're we talking and, about Marcus Samuelson? Yeah. And that this is not going well in New Orleans. This is heresy. You do not mess with the recipes. What's the Holy Trinity? Uh, the Holy Trinity is celery, bell pepper, and onion. Right. and the, But they call it the Holy Trinity. It's the most Catholic state in the entirety <laughs> of the South. Maybe in the country. But, I mean, you don't you don't take roux. The, the roux is the flour mixture, right. but you have to slowly cook it so it develops that flavor. And, uh, yeah, he transgressed, and I, I think he might want to... Talk that back. Hey, I think he's a nice person and he loves his mother. However, you and I ate at his restaurant in Bermuda because we're fancy. And uh, it was supposed to have down-home food. They did uh, cornbread, collard greens. But your mom used to cook collard greens. My mother is from Casilla, Mississippi. And she made collard greens. <laughs> you were going to cry at those collard greens. Your collard greens are awesome. My mother would put ham hock in them. So halfway through, a big spoonful of fat with a knuckle on it would come out. A giant piece of pig's foot or whatever. Well, and I, that's how she did it. I used the Princess Pamela recipe right. for collard greens. But Marcus's were too sweet by half. You remember them. And they, it wasn't good. They didn't get it done at all. And no. it, this is an island uh, that... With their, their own history. I was going to say their own... Their own history. Their own, Why not celebrate their right? history? Why not do their fish soup? You had the, the, the fish and palm they leaves used to with have, uh, They used to peas. have their own farms and their own chickens and be self-sustaining. But, you know... Rich when, people. When English people want to launder money, that gets in the way. It's a total gentrification. your golf course. Right? I want to park my yacht here so I can't have you raising anything near me. It's so awful. Uh, but that's, you know, the story of, of everywhere good. It gets gentrified and then, oop, I'm pressing James Booker when I want James Brown. But you know how that goes. Uh, speaking <laughs> of which, let's just jump right into this. Danny Ray is swirling in the heavens. 
What? We got to see him at the Hollywood Bowl. Whoa! Get her, Hooter! Danny Ray was with James Brown since the early 60s. He just swirled off a couple days ago. We saw James Brown at the Hollywood Bowl right the year 2007, right before Mm -hmm. he swirled Mm -hmm. into the heavens. And uh, Danny Ray was there. Oh, yeah. They did. did Danny Ray is the one who would come out and go, and this is some of his great lines. Um, Ladies and gentlemen... There are seven acknowledged wonders of the world. You are about to witness the eighth. And then, I, <laughs> do you want to ask you one thing? Are you ready for some super dynamite soul? And then, this one is the, the just the living end. I want you to get yourself and get your soul together. This man will make your liver quiver. This man will make your bladder spatter. This man will freeze your knees. If you will, let's all welcome the world's godfather of soul, soul brother number one, James, right? Wow. James Brown, James wow. Brown. Then they invented the cape trick one night. Yeah. Uh, he was a fill-in. Uh, he was working in, he got a gig doing uh, James's suits and, and managing everything backstage. Which imagine. Meant, which meant. There was 50 people in the retina easily, plus all the flames, plus he had to, uh, how to, and the post put it, perhaps more delicately, he had to engineer where the women went as the evening went on as well. So he had a lot going on. He was basically a, an adjutant, a stage manager, a tour manager, and personally in charge of making sure James Brown's outfits were that, together. huge... Oh, God, it's so position. much. Um, and then it added on to that... Uh, uh, um, had to be the cape guy, and then the hype guy. Right, and we and we know the origins. We've talked about that before. That it was because black performers were asked to step outside, outdoors in the cold. They couldn't use a dressing room to change costumes, yep. and so he would be. Someone would throw a coat or a cape on him yep. to keep him warm after him, you know, throwing down and sweating, and. They transformed it. It's just so awesome to transform it into the core of the performance. Uh huh. And the most dramatic part that everybody loved. And it, it, the, the Washington Post says it started innocently with him being draped with a towel, but it actually started way more like you're talking about. By the end, of course, or after a few years, they blew it up to the velvet cape with his picture on the back that said <laughs> Soul Brother Number One. And then. When it really blew up for him was when white people finally saw him. In the Tammy show in 64, James Brown blows Chuck Berry, The Stones, Marvin Gaye. What was the movie we were watching a couple months ago? Uh, The Snow one. Yeah, the Ski Lodge one. It's it's the beach movie that's at a ski lodge. And he just shows up. Yeah, with the flames. And and the girl goes, it's James Brown. And he just blows everyone away. He does, I feel good. Yeah. And it's awesome. And he's wearing, instead of wearing his usual... Everyone follow that. Right. Instead of wearing his usual... He's wearing Cuban heels and slacks, but he's got a sweater on because they're at a ski lodge instead of a a coat. When I met him at 8.30, 9 a.m. in the morning at the airport, he was wearing Cuban heels, uh, a matador jacket, high-waisted trousers, and his hair was done. Yeah. 
unbelievable. Well, uh, he blew everyone off the stage at the Tanner Show. The Stones only made it because they were good looking and had a good act at that point. But James Brown literally. Oh, they were scared. Oh no, they were watching him from the wings because they were, they were headlining. He was the second. To, he, he was the second to last. And he came off the stage how many times at the Tanner Show? Four or five. He, he does a <laughs> seven minute version of Please Please Please, which includes throwing himself on the ground and then literally physically collapsing until Danny picked him up and put the cape back on, and then he'd miraculously throw the cape off and run back out and do another two minutes of please, please, please. And that was, I think, what really blew him up for the white audience in the United States because the Tammy show was a really popular um, network TV show on the night, you know. Uh, That's, you know, what we always said when we were watching the funeral, which was carried on TV. I was going to get to that, yeah. That we kept saying that surely someone had thrown, probably Danny had thrown the cape over... It was him, really? Yes. It, Danny placed the cape on the casket wow. at the funeral. Of course he did, for the last time. He said that he would tell me this color of the suits and the color of the capes only a little before the show. I kept them safe with me and never let them out of my sight because I knew what they represented. And also, he would, he'd been in the service, he said, and that's why he had the discipline to be on time and show up early. Because James Brown famously fined everyone. Danny Ray... Is an oh, awesome part of rock wonderful. history. How old was he? 85. Dig that. And I dig this mix, too, by the way. You may have noticed this isn't a... This is this is get up, get into it, get involved, the stereo mix. James Brown is always so instructive. And that's Bobby Bird singing with him. Yeah. One last word from James Brown. That's a public service announcement. Uh, what are we on to, Joe Allen? Joe Allen was a very special restaurateur who catered to the theater crowd and journalists hung out there and, and theater critics and an essential part of New York, but also he had restaurants in London and Paris and LA. Um, I remember going to one of his restaurants in LA or so mm-hmm. and seeing Alan Rickman hilariously in a very Alan Rickman way, send the wine back. I don't want this bottle of wine. <laughs> I can't do Alan Rickman very well. Oh no. What did John Session say? Your teeth are... Right. You, you, your lips don't touch your teeth. Your lips don't is that so how Alan you do? Alan Rickman talk like this. No, it's yes. true. It's it, is. it is. It is. A, now that I'm extraordinary thief, it is the season to be, be of good cheer. I don't want this wine. So Joe Allen was a, a mentor to some of our favorite restaurateurs in London. Uh, Jeremy King at, at the, the Wolseley and... Uh, Places that were essential to us hanging out and and hanging out with friends in London. And then in New York, the last time we were at Bar Central was with our dear friend Mark Crowley, who has left us. And it was very memorable because Mart, as Mart always was, was 
impatient and we were late and he had run oh my God, out bar central. he had run out in the, into the street and he didn't have he was in his 80s and he didn't have a cell phone no and the hostess just looked at us like yes everyone here has heard about your plight and his plight right we walked in what 15 minutes late and, and he, he was... told me that it was an hour <laughs> and i he was lying yeah. but his play had been on broadway that night boys in the band and Zach Kinto was at Bar Central. Did you say Zach Kinto? I did say Zach Kinto. And Zach Kinto, uh, I I know that Mark had... Regaled him? No, he had interrogated him about where we were mm-hmm. and why we were late. And I know that Mark was lying because I looked at his, the ice in his glass of water. Right. And that... No. No. Ten minutes had transpired. Yeah, yeah. We, we, in we in his mind, it was tardy. an hour. Yeah. But it was just, it was a very mart drama moment. But Joe Allen created an environment where all those kinds of people could feel comfortable. And he often was at the bar at Joe Allen's. Bar Central was above, or so was next door. Yeah. And... Very theater. All those places, so theater. Well, and and uh, thank you for saying that because he had first had a restaurant in a different part of town, which he said attracted people in advertising. And, <laughs> and he decided, he was like, those, I no, I don't want those people. Uh, and he, he moved to He got to the, ad people in and he, he hated the clientele. Yeah, and he thought, you know, I need, I need people that are, were, going to be much more interesting. What did he say? To be more fun or something? Yeah, or, he yeah, did. Yeah. Um, he let actors run up a tab. This is before the, credit cards, In right? the 70s, actors couldn't get a credit card yeah. because they didn't have, you know, according to banks, a stable income. And so you had to depend on the kindness of people right. like Joe Allen. Running tabs. And awesomely, he decided... At Joe Allen's to only put up posters of flops. Right, unlike Sardis. And so actors and actresses would say to him, I I don't want to ever give you a poster for one of the flops. And he said, if you do, you'll, later you'll want to sit under it. <laughs> and and one of them said, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, like he celebrated that, that it was, it's a continuity, mm-hmm. right? And it's a, it's... At certain, at one point, everything yes, okay? yeah, no, that you're going to go through something like that. Of course, and theater is not just a, an ascending. You know, it's not a meteor goes down. Well, also, it, it's <laughs> such. It, it's actually amazing that any of them are successful. Yeah, and of course, Mart's Boys in the Band, directed by Joe Mantello and, and produced by Ryan Murphy, was an astounding success. Yes, yeah, sold out and run. How. Awesome. And became a movie it right after. For, for the second time. For Mart yeah. to experience that. But... Um, it got made into a movie twice. What I love is that he also <laughs> took us... Uh, Mart took us to PJ Clark's, which is where Joe Allen used to hang out. And he hung out there so much, people thought he worked there. And that was when he realized, like, well, maybe I'll open that kind of... These are the people, according to the New York Times, who hung out at Joe Allen's. Stephen Sondheim, Al Pacino, John Guar, and Elaine Stritch. Right. 
And the food was what burgers, you know. Yeah, it was just the whole thing bistro, was like you just. Even, it reminds not me even a French of bistro, like just, our, one of our favorite places, Cafe Lou, right? Which was where the literary people hung out, and the teachers at New School and Junior Mans, and you you didn't go and there. Patricia Clarkson for the, right. You didn't go there for the food. You went there to because it was a community yeah. of like-minded right. artists, and you were going to get a story. There was a buzz in the room. Um, the waiter sat down and told us how he worked at the United Nations. Right. I mean, like, the first time I went there, Willie DeVille was at the bar. Right. I mean, it was just, you know, that was the kind of place it we was. We saw the meeting of a wine club there but, when they had 35 uh, bottles of wine on the table. The, the manager came over to inspect the empty wine bottles. Like, it yeah, was but, way more than two cases of wine. But Joe Ellen was, and also, you know, Joe Ellen was special in several different cities, and you know, oh, in London. We, we, how, we were the first place we went for Who's Line right, after a, or a show. show. And when I first went to London, 89 or 90, they took us to Joe Allen. Right, but that's where you went. Oh, and you and I went to Orso all the time in London. Yes. Yeah, and I love when uh, Elaine uh, Kaufman owned, uh, opened Elaine's that Joe Allen brought her a case of Heineken and right. said, sell it back to me. Awesome. Um, he... He also said he once described his personality as minimal, which is just hilarious. I don't know. If you date Elaine Stritch and... <laughs> right? I don't buy that at all. I don't think she's said, a minimal he, personality. He said the, the secret to a su- success was, and this is from the New York Times obituary, it's because I don't inflict myself on the customers. Yes. But there are so many people who weighed in this week about how kind he was to them. He let them slide. He let people just be, he let uh, dancers and uh, one guy said that he got uh, a credit. What do you call it? He, he, he didn't have to pay. He didn't have a credit card. Right. So he got an account at Joe Allen's by saying that he was a dancer in a chor- the first production of a chorus line. Wow. That's awesome that he did that. I mean, that's the generosity, though. And that's also being part of something and understanding that um, show business, which is what he was in a show business restaurant with with not cheap food, but like simple food, food you yes. eat after the show. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, he knew that it wasn't always you weren't always ascending. Sometimes you get a good thing going and sometimes there's nothing going for a long time and you got to make something happen. Putting the flops on the walls is genius because we've been to Sardi's as well, which has redid itself completely. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because they started the Thursday night thing there again and everything. But Sardi's is hilarious because it's caricatures of everyone famous ever and hit shows all over the wall. Right. Like what you call used to be here, Jerry Samastelli. It was always posters of hit shows all over. But putting the flops up is just brilliant. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, it's, I mean, what a sense of humor. Right. So on the wall, I'm guessing it was the um, the Fatty Arbuckle musical. That what did. I love that that one <laughs> one actress said that in the back room would often be Al Pacino alone, yeah. which is just yeah. great. Well, it's to true. know You're that Al Pacino. No, but Al Pacino. Yeah. If if you feel I'll if you're feeling right, now. if you're feeling down, yeah. You and I just watched Dog Day Afternoon for the millionth time, and celebrated him home in that the idea that Al Pacino is holding it down in a room alone mm-hmm. at the height of his looks. Um, you know, yeah. this is the essence of Broadway. And yeah. And I would say London and Paris as well, but all of the places were really well attended and 
We also had good food, actually. Yes. We used to get... I get the veal there all the time. In London, yeah. Yeah. And it was his his children that... Joe Allen's children that ran Orso. Right. They never knew him. He didn't raise them. And then when they became adults, they were cooks and... Or chefs, rather. And they all went to the different... Joe Allen's. Bar Central was so intimate, you guys. It's like... How many people can fit in Bar Central? There was no way that you also... You didn't see a superstar of Broadway. Yeah, always. I mean, it was that, that's what Well, we were sitting happening. next to Zach Kino, who came over after Boys in the Band. Well, and wasn't Swoozie Kurtz there? Oh, yeah. In the window? Oh, no, it was superstar. It was great. Oh, and we were there with Mart, so hello. <laughs> hello. Tony winning Broadway play writer, playwright. And impatient imp. You guys are an hour late. We're not, Mart. We're 15 minutes late. I just remember the hostess looking at us. Oh, like, no. When we walked in, everyone in the restaurant We've was like, all it's heard about it. Yeah, because he had done a declamation in full wing around yeah, the... Uh, around I, felt, the I felt pretty good about around that. Around the perimeter three times. Anyway, Joe Allen is swirling in the stars. He had a long, full life. It's not a tragedy. He was successful, and he was very nice to people. He also dated Cheetah Rivera, That's what I'm talking way. about. Elaine Stritch and Cheetah Rivera. Well, look Rivera. who's giving them things here. Cheetah Rivera, Donna McKechnie, who's the first great star of, right. uh, of uh, Chorus Line and the first incarnation. Cheetah Rivera said there are some, just some people that you never, ever think are not going to be around. Joe was one of those yeah. people. Fixtures. You know what that means, you know? Yeah. It's just... Well, you'd be sitting at the bar, wouldn't you? Well, but somebody that's essential. Yeah. Oh, here it is. It was Justin Ross Cohen who said, when he applied for a house account, when you did, you were given a piece of paper with a form, name, company, position. For company, I put a chorus line. For position, fifth from the left. <laughs> Joe Allen got a big kick out of that. It was a big deal. I can't tell you the number of people who were refused. At 22, I was like, I have arrived. And also, I want to just see these some of the posters from some of the shows oh here. It's like, I can, the writing's big enough, <laughs> I can see this them. This one. Go to go, got to go disco, spelled got T-U, go disco. That's supposed to there. Holler if you hear me. Me, Jack, you, Jill, and Her First Roman. With a great cast of Richard Kiley and Leslie Uggams, but it's called Her First Roman. So that has to be like a Cleopatra Caesar thing, I'm guessing, that just, just bit the big one. Uh, wow. Yeah, everybody hears it's all. Well, there's the posters. Can you see any of the Lolita. I, I don't know if that was a musical or not. I'm hoping it wasn't. It's not beyond the pale. It's so great. Um, what right? a, what Steve Gutenberg of all people. That's funny. Joe Allen is to actors what the Veterans Administration is to the military. <laughs> a safe and welcoming home for our profession. Very well, well put. But that's Joel it. Gray. What did he say? He used to have a jukebox with all the shows on the run Broadway that year and the year before and the year after. Everybody went there from every show. You'd see everybody you loved. How well, powerful is that? But that's the thing, is that is where... But, you know, much like the Wolseley is in London, where you see Lucian Freud used to be there uh, at least once a week. He would go to the Royal Academy. Right, which across the street. Which he had a key to. And then he would go to the Wolseley for dinner. And many a time... Uh, we sat near him, and I remember one time he w- asked Josie and me what we were having because we were having uh, strawberry sundaes. And I just thought it was hilarious that he he wanted to know about if that was a strawberry knickerbocker, and I said yes. 
And he got the strawberry knickerbocker. Yeah, he did. Um, Lucian Freud was a famous British artist who's already um, visiting the other side. And he's also Freud's grandson. Mm -hmm. By Freud, I mean Sigmund Freud. Yes. Uh, yeah, he was a frequent there. Well, I mean, the Wolsey so story. We've seen everybody there. Brian Ferry and Keanu Reeves and... Everyone. Yeah, everyone goes to the Wolsey. And it's great fun. And... Uh, their food's like, what would you say? Like a Viennese uh, diner kind of thing? It's, it's veal, it's a, oh, a salad. I would say diner. It's, it's I mean, quite a, a lovely. Lot, you know, but I don't, I don't think, I'm. but it's not like super high end, oh my God, this is so fancy. It's actually post-show food too, or pre-show yes. food. Yes. Like, you know, for instance, you could get... No, well, they get people from the West End there. Yeah. The last time we went um, to a Christmas, what, before... Uh, we went there with all the comedy store players and had a Christmas dinner, and everybody had what they wanted. Josie had white bait. And Chris and Jeremy were, uh, they they worked with Joe Allen yeah. and Richard Polo. Before. They gave us a bottle of champagne. I know. They gave us two bottles they're of champagne. They're just awesome. Yeah, we they're all them. so nice and so lovely. Um, Joe Allen was 87, and well really? done him, because what a, what a life, and he really looked after performers he did and for that he shall go to heaven <laughs> there is no stopping no passing go if anyone who's kind to performers gets to go to heaven and the biggest way you can be kind to performers is to let them drink and eat on eat. a tab yeah um speaking of performers uh check out ron carter's instagram he did a show this weekend and you can still watch it it's twenty dollars for a ticket um it's him and houston person uh, on a uh, saxophone and it's just it's just beautiful it's the two of them in his living room with yeah. his very tasteful furniture and right? some valentine's decorations his, his great artwork oh, no one's more rehearsed than ron carter after three thousand gigs and ten thousand million live gigs in a lifetime and uh, you can even watch them rehearse on YouTube. But what I what I loved is when they fist bumped at the end, yeah. and they well, were both in their 80s. they were both so tough. Well, Houston is eighty seven, I think, and well done. And oh my God, during this time, I mean, please celebrate them if you can and get tickets and watch them. Are we going to talk about uh, impeachment too? This time, it's personal. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get right there. First of all, um, let, again, it was a big win. Let's be honest. Um, nothing about this uh, is, a, is a perceived by anybody who lives in reality as anything but another giant black stroke against the hideousness of his vile legacy. And they were able to um, bring it in quickly to get back to the matter at hand, which is... Um, saving this country from COVID and getting the economy started again. Yes. There's no other bigger priority. When you get the virus under control, then the economy comes back and then we all can talk about something. The impeachment managers were awesome. Oh my um, God. Like the top, they're so I brilliant. I didn't know that Stacey Plaskett was Jamie Raskin's student, for instance, and that Jamie Raskin had been teaching constitutional law for 30 years. Hmm, that didn't come off at all. <laughs> um, and, of course, Stacey Plaskett is the first delegate to stir serve on a team of impeachment managers. But, of course, we've only had four impeachments in the entire history of, the, of U.S. history. And uh, the illegitimate 45 is two of them. Uh-huh. 
And so let's look at that. He's been found guilty by Congress twice and worthy of impeachment. Obviously, there was a thousand other times he could have been impeached for everything. Um, the way the GOP always spin it is that it didn't happen. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters except us and our glorious future, which they don't have because uh, people are leaving them in droves. The normal thinking group that voted for him because they like tax cuts and they just generally hate people is splitting. Hundreds but- of thousands of people have changed their association mm-hmm. with the Republican Party. They're going to have to gerrymander the devil out of the world to win anything in the future. And I think it's going to be a giant tussle. Um, I think, you know, Joe kept, Biden kept talking about the soul of America. The soul of America spoken. The, the impeachment was overwhelmingly popular with people. Yes. And people want him tried and people want him put away. People want justice. It's only a small percentage that believe all this nonsense and carry on believing it. Um Jamie Raskin quoted Voltaire. Mm-hmm. He he quoted Thomas Paine. These are the times that try men and women. And he said that Nancy Pelosi asked him to add, to update it to men and, men and women's souls, yep. which was just lovely. Um, this is the future. And if you think that they're afraid of the first woman of color, the first woman to be vice president... They are, and we have to celebrate and support Vice President what, Kamala Harris. Wasn't that what the Capitol um, riot and looting and violence and horrible, fatal, uh, middle-class white uh, QAnon uh, revolution thing that happened was about? The fact that Reverend Warnock, that a Jew and a, a, a black man were elected to take over the senatorships of mm-hmm. Georgia mm-hmm. and a black woman was put in the executive office seems to be the only reason much like Obama was the only reason that the Tea yes. Party got started and all that. It's yes. enough. That's yes. too much of a shift for them. They see it all flying away from them, even though it's not. These people owned bars. They, they owned want restaurants. To They're be, professionals. They want to be unqualified and yet able to control things. And never have to answer. Um, Eugene Goodman, who is the hero, Capitol Police officer, yes, is... We, we found out in the impeachment trial also saved Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, Physically saved him. He's going to receive the Congressional Gold Medal, which is the highest honor of the Congress, mm-hmm. which is awesome. He's a, a, an African-American, and he was there at the back of the, the floor during the impeachment proceedings. Yes. Because they made just, him... Uh, no, but I can't imagine, like, I mean, all of them must have uh, post-traumatic stress from all of this. But he Except is, for a few. But he, yes, he does, of course. He, especially. Well, I and mean, then he watches the Republicans get up there and vote to acquit. By the way, seven Republicans jumped over, so 57 members of the Senate voted to impeach this guy. And it's not, you know, this is more than we thought. So let's not... And let's put the witness thing to bed once and for all. They got um, Herrera's test, Representative Herrera's testimony, Herrera Bootler's testimony, and had it entered into the record. So it's yes. in the official congressional record. They asked him to testify. They asked her to testify. By him, I mean 45. They, uh, they asked a bunch of people to testify. And we were told that the witnesses were not friendly. What that means in legalese is they weren't going to say anything if they got up there. In other words, no, I don't want to go. And if also, you make me go, I'm not going to do it. Also, they And it would have got tied up in court because they would have subpoenaed them and they would have refused the subpoenas. They, they would have to vote on each single witness. Yeah. And they, believe me, the Republicans were going to call Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, 
Nancy Pelosi, they're going to get crazy. They the, were going the fact to get that they crazy. were talking about Hillary Clinton is just shows how deranged they are. What year it is? Um, she hasn't held I, office. I, I think that that speaks to they know she should have been president. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every time I hear that, I think, oh, you know, that's who should have been in that office. So, so lots um, of things are going to happen after this that are criminal. Uh, obviously, the state of Georgia right now and the state of New York are pursuing a bunch of cases against him. And the FBI is in conducting a gigantic manhunt for the rest of the uh, rioters and seditioners. Well, let's talk about the... There are so many grand juries out. Uh, Georgia is also going after Lindsey Graham. Oh, that was a nice return of events. That phone do say. Um, the, the, Let's talk about the managers. Up to, oh, oh, yeah. No, what were you going to talk about? Well, I was going to say that the amazing thing is how much... Biden Harris has gotten done, and I love the fact that they always refer to this administration as Biden hyphen Harris. I mean, it's just Ronald Klain said Joe Biden always wants to include uh, Vice President Kamala Harris and put her forward, and it's just, I mean, my God. It's the the best thing ever. Um, Reminds you of Hall and Oates or Slater Kenny, right? What Hall and Oates or Slater no, Kenny? No, it doesn't. Um, they ended the emergency at the Me- Mexico border. That, uh, you know what that means? That they're going to stop building the crap wall. So no more taxpayer dollars will go to the, the billion point four wall. or whatever it was. I mean, just like that. It's just. Yep. Guess what? Um, um, governing by executive order can be undone by executive order. All that crap that he did, he never there, legislated there anything. There is a new COVID task force that is focused on uh, the racial inequity. Right. Trying to make that right. Of the he did that within the first rollout. two weeks. Yeah. Um, they've, they, ignored, they've ordered enough vaccines for the entire country. How long did that take? It's only... February 15th. We've been waiting almost a year for the, anything to happen. So they've dub, doubled the number of vaccinations mm-hmm. being given out. Um, and this is just as of last week. And we know there's enough for everybody now. Uh, the housing uh, HUD, will it will be illegal to turn away people looking to rent or buy a house simply because they are queer. Yep. That's already done. The but by first, the way, it wasn't. Forty-five went out of his way to make that happen. To yeah, make it's it, all just just horrible cruelty. The first meeting of the first ever National Climate Task Force happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's already been done. Harriet Tubman has been inducted into the U.S. Army Military Intelligence Corps Hall of Fame as a full member, acknowledging her work as a spy. Harriet. She, Tubman. She led a raid and they liberated um, a, a giant swath down in South Carolina. They blew up a bunch of stuff. And she um, she reconnoitered and, and led the expedition in so much as she selected the officer that was the commander of the expedition because she trusted him. He'd been one of John Brown's men. And um, they finally are acknowledging that she was at the forefront in the front wow. boat telling him what was what. And she said, I'm going to misquote her terribly here, but when... Uh, the enslaved people came running out. They had their children and their animals, everything trying to survive. That it was like um, Egypt, that they were running for freedom mm-hmm. like Moses and whatnot. It's, she wrote really eloquently about it later. But it, finally, to acknowledge her 
and not stuff it. Remember the, when that, oh, we're not going to have a 20 with her on it. We're going to have a 20 with, you know, uh, Adolf Eichmann on it or whatever. I thought it was so important that Carrie James Marshall had those two lovely portraits of her because mm. we never get to see her in another light as, you know, like Rosa Parks is always this this person. She exists for one moment yeah. as opposed to the 50 exactly. year, uh, 60 years of fighting for civil of rights. activism. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also uh, point out that Eric Swalwell, who's a representative from the Bay Area, said that Alameda Trump will face a mountain of civil and criminal cases. Mm-hmm. Um, as of this week, Senator Cory Booker will chair the Subcommittee on Criminal Justice and Counterterrorism. He's the first black chair of a Senate Judiciary Committee. Hmm. And our new California Senator, Alex Padilla, will chair the sub- Subcommittee on Immigration, and he will be the first Latina. How appropriate. Isn't that wonderful? I know. I, I know people were really mad that it was Padilla replacing Kamala, but as we discussed on last week's show, California needed desperately to have Latin representation in the Senate. And uh, this, I think you just see people build on this. I think, I think states are going to come through like Georgia did and Arizona did. States are going to continue to flip because people are completely activated now. And we know that 2022, they're going to really do more than they did last time to be cheaty. And so we have to be awesome and come out in massive numbers. We need more states besides Illinois and California to put forward a black woman senator. There's plenty of chances in lots of states because there's loads of uh, Republicans who have to run again. I wanted to quote yes, please. this line from Representative Jamie Raskin, who, against all odds, against great personal loss, he lost his son on New Year's oh, Eve. Oh, God, this. And he was put in charge of the impeachment and did a masterful job. He said he ended impeachment day three with a quote from Thomas Paine. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, but we have this saving consolation. The more difficult the struggle, the more glorious in the end will be our victory. I can't believe what he went through and how strong he was. And then that post-conference where he was... Having to hold his emotions in check, I think, a bit because of watching McConnell's duplicity on the floor and um, the mealy mouth trying to have it both ways while knowing that you're really... Well, they knew that. But they knew it going in. And we saw um, our representative, Ted Lieu, uh, being awesome. And he's calling January 6th Insurrection Day. Mm -hmm. And uh, David Cicilline, uh, who... From the Calamari Comeback State? He made it... So personal what the staff at the Capitol had to go yep. through and that the staff is largely of color. You mean the, the cleaners, the cooks, the janitors, yes. the people, yes. the gardeners, the people who had to yeah, clean the bloody place just up. just elected officials. No, they had to wipe, um, literally wipe stuff off the walls and, and really, really put the place in order. At their own peril, by the way. Yes. A room full of seditioners breathing without masks for hours and hours and hours and hours. It was five hours of hand-to-hand combat. Um, what about the women on the 200 panel? 200 National Guardsmen have tested positive. Oh, God. Um, what about Mr. Nagoose from Colorado? Joe Nagoose, who, who... The youngest member. He was born in Bakersfield, uh, and 
he's the son of Eritrean immigrants. All of them were just... Dean was the other one, was it? And um, Madeline Dean. A missing one. Degat. Ah, there she is. Uh, Nagat and uh, and Plaskett. And Plaskett gave that great, great, great quote where she said, everyone has the right to vote except for, in the course, if you're an island. Because mm-hmm. the Virgin Islands doesn't have voting well, rights Well, in D.C. Right? But that was a marked, pointed remark. So just to stop for a moment and go Terry Canefield on your ass, the solution to tyranny and fascism and autocrats is more democracy. How do you get more democracy? It must be fought for at every level on a, on a very basic level. The people that you talk to, you have to engage them about it. The relatives that are uh, uh, still fascists, you have to mm-hmm. either deal with them or cut them loose. You have to, one way or the other, you got to try to provide a, a that. You've got to register to vote. You've got to well, register to friends, your, your friends to vote. White people need to step up. White people need to step up. If you see abuse, if you see racism, if you see bigotry, especially right now against Asians, um, Latins, Asians are being plagued right now in the state of California, I can tell you. No, it's shocking. You need to step up and say and do something. You really need to be counted. If you can't do any of that, as I always say, do the bare minimum. Register yourself to vote and uh, make yourself aware of what's going on. Um, You can follow a bunch of different sites that'll easily hip you. to uh, um, you might want to follow Blavity, um, which is a site that follows black uh, affairs. You might want to follow the Southern Poverty Law Center or uh, CAIR, which is an anti-Muslim. Mm-hmm. I mean, an anti-Muslim. I can't what? believe I said that. Is a what? an organization? <laughs> no, you don't have to cut it. I'll I'll correct oh myself. My it's an organization that is uh, talks about how Muslims are treated, and there's a lot of anti-Muslim violence, and has been for years, obviously. What Let's about, be honest. What about uh, Mark Pekavage? Uh, oh, there you are. Mark Pekavage. J.J. McNabb. J.J. McNabb. Follow them they on Twitter. They follow uh, white extremists so, and, and other extremist groups. Not to be boring, but in two years, or as Jennifer points out, next year, in 2022, on November 8th, um, Kelly will have to run for his seat again in Arizona, the, our astronaut hero, and our Reverend Warnock will have to run for his seat again in Georgia. IA. And what's-his-name's already running against him again? Purdue. Mm. Purdue has the nerve, really? Oh, he's going to be batted down like so much bat. In any case, I don't want to make any bad predictions. I just want to hit you. Just, there's 20 Republican seats up for grabs. Um, Alaska has Lisa Murkowski, but Murkowski actually did the right thing and voted for impeachment. Let's not get too hasty. I, I'm not praising. They're all in one big boat for me, one big gravy boat of deviltry. They don't really care about the governance, rule of law, and or democracy. They're anti-democracy because you wouldn't ever well, want to restrict voting if you were pro-democracy. Let's be clear because we know that Americans really don't do their research and have had no civics lessons, apparently, that the impeachment was a very narrow purview. It was... Yeah, 100 people. No, I, <laughs> I meant about what it would affect. Yeah, the kind of change it would affect oh. was very small. It was not a criminal case. Oh. Now there are criminal cases going forward, so please take heart in that. Where, where actual punishment, financial and uh, uh, time, can be meted out. Yes. Remember that Paul Manafort, even though he got pardoned and was let out of jail, was stripped of all of his money. Yeah. Literally all of his assets by his the Miller. His carpets even. Yep. His carpets, his crappy leather jackets, the zillion houses he owned, the millions of dollars he had. In, clothing. All of it was taken away from him by the government and used to pay for the Mueller uh, um, investigation. 
It wasn't so much that I wanted to praise Murkowski, Jennifer. I just wanted to hit you to some states where I think the issue's not uh, written. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As they say, nothing is written. Alaska's one affair, but Florida is purple. Marco Rubio is up. Iowa, Chuck Grassley's going to be 80-something. He might not even stand, by the way. Iowa's ripe for the pickings. Kentucky, Rand Paul. Oh, God. Now, he's really unpopular, and he's done the wrong thing a lot. And Kentucky has a a Democratic governor. Where where does his neighbor stand on that? Right? And another state in the Deep South with a Democratic governor is Louisiana. And Louisiana, John Kennedy's up in 22. So these are two states that I think are in a Georgia category. How awesome was it that Cassidy... Voted. The other senator from Louisiana yeah. actually got it together and fantastically said afterward, if you watched it, he went, the reason I voted to um, impeach him was that I think he's guilty. Well, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a staunch abortion advocate, and I understand when people were disappointed that John Bill Edwards was... Uh, of Louisiana. Right, when he became the governor of Louisiana, but... The difference was John Bell Edwards and the abyss. It Bobby Jindal. No, it was David Vitter. Oh, it was David Vitter. Oh, God, right. So, I no, mean, but wasn't Bobby Jindal the governor there? But, I mean, this is Oof. leaps and bounds for Louisiana to have John Bell Edwards they be the governor. Up, they signed up for Obamacare. They right. actually opted exactly. into Obamacare. Exactly. Well, so these are the states I think are in play. Uh, Kentucky with Rand Paul, Louisiana with John Kennedy, Missouri with Roy Blunt, because uh, Hawley took uh, McCaskill's seat, so he has four more years. But Roy Blunt has the other seat, and he is also vulnerable. Missouri is not all red. Um, North Carolina, Burr, he's going to leave, so that leaves it open. Mm-hmm. And North Carolina is not all red at all. North Dakota, I can't help you. Ohio, Rob Portman, <laughs> someone good is, uh, they're already talking North, about. North Dakota and South Dakota, we, you know, th- this is a whole segment where we need to really get uh, indigenous people a better way to vote. Well, that's what they're trying to eradicate yes, in those states. Yes, exactly. But they're, if they're too small. They have way too much representation nationally. For instance, the people that voted um, not to impeach 45 represent a much smaller portion of the country than the people who voted to impeach Not just him. much smaller, like an in- infinitesimal. A country's worth. Um, Pennsylvania, Pat Toomey, that's in play. Way in play. Um, Tim Scott is the senator from South Carolina. He happens to be African-American. He did not vote to convict. He voted to quit. So I think his seat's in danger. Um, South Dakota, again, I can't help you. Mike Lee in Utah is not a foregone conclusion. There, I've said it. You can Really? Yeah, take me home. And this one's so, so in play. Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Maybe the... In in up there with Holly and Cruz as the worst senator in the entire United States Senate. That's saying something. He's been denying that. He, today he said he didn't feel on the day that it was a violent insurrection. That's where he's coming from. He spouts Russian talking points all the time. He goes on television and lies. It's he, super exciting then that the UK be and the Republican Party have... Russian, Russian talking points right. in common. Right. I mean, you'll hear Soviet or Russian, Soviet, Russian talking points. Wisconsin, as you know, is not a red state. It's a purple state with, um, like uh, 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 other states in the Midwest, the big cities are. The, the, the legislature in Wisconsin once said, if you take out Milwaukee, you know, it's almost even. 
And it's like, well, you, you see, what? you don't take out Milwaukee because it's the biggest city. So they have a, a Democratic governor there, um, Mr. Evers. And I think all of those states are in play. So they're talking about taking back the Senate. They're talking about taking back the House. What? They're talking about impeaching Kamala and whatnot. And I think it's going to go a little bit the other way. I think they're going to and, lose and a few seats. doesn't that say everything about the racism that they're talking about impeaching Kamala? Yep. And that was Lindsey Graham today. Uh-huh. Which means to me that he's got a lot to worry about. And oh. we're going to find out, I think, soon. I agree. What's I, what? I'm, let's stand by for excellence. Yeah, let's go to this. Um, I just wanted to run through that because I thought I wanted to give people something to cling to in the dead of night. Oh, no. But Louisiana, no, Kentucky, Missouri, Wisconsin, so Utah. There's so much happening. Yeah, Pennsylvania. I don't, I don't say it's clinging at all. No. We are winning. And Biden-Harris have put so much together. Yeah. In the America's short back, baby. period of time. What and about that speech? We're not even talking about a month in. No. No. I mean, for God's sake. 26 days? I mean, we're going to hear about how, oh, Kamala's niece is, is oh, she's using her, her aunt. Or, you know, Kamala wore a jacket by so-and-so. Um, but there's just this emphasis on, they are geared toward finding something negative, finding, a you know, some horse race. There is nothing to say. Everything is good. Uh, what is happening with the Biden-Harris uh, administration is overwhelmingly positive. It gives everyone so much hope. The fact that the vaccinations have doubled, the the, the uh, cases have dipped precipitously. It is just wonderful. And then we're going to talk about uh, the first World Trade Organizer Organization Director General. Uh, to be a woman and the first African is uh, Ngozi Nkanjo Iwala, and her term starts Where's she from? next month. She's from Nigeria, and she wrote a book with Julia Gillard. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I did not. Um, she was the first woman uh, minister of finance for Nigeria. And this woman is just a force to be reckoned with. And the fact that she's the World Trade Organization Director right. General, uh, the first woman, the first woman from the first person from Africa is profound. And mm. Nigeria is an enormous country. There's a hundred the million bans people. The travel ban's lifted too, right? There's a hundred million people. Right. Didn't we have them on the travel ban now? Yes. Yeah. The, yeah, the insane former right? dictator. Uh, from our country, yes, and and so I mean the progress that we're seeing, the yeah. progress. Yeah. There's a bunch of shows coming up uh, Thursday, February 18th, 5 p.m. my time, Proof Standard Time. I'll be doing stand up. I haven't written it yet, but don't worry about it. It's going to be good. February 20th, uh, who's live anyway? No, I'll be doing stand up. That's um, not in um, where we record the. Um, the Proopcast at the Porpoise of Fruititude. It said at the small, there's a small badminton pavilion out behind the North 40 where I, uh, I grow cabbages. I have a bocce ball court. It's nice. It's just, a, I like to get out there. And, uh, you know, the rabbits come by in the morning and they nibble on the cabbage and whatnot. And I'm like, stop it, right? Um, anyway, that's February 18th at 5 o'clock. I would hope that you could join me then. 
February 20th, that's Saturday, um, I got a Who's Line show. And that's got uh, Ryan Stiles, of course, uh, Joel Murray, Jeff Davis, me. And then we have some bitching, bitching uh, special guests, including Eric Idle. Yeah, you heard me. That Eric Idle, that's the one from Monty oh. Python. Uh, Jeff's mates with him because uh, they did a sketch show. Eric, years ago, Eric put a, like a Python sketch show together. And Jeff auditioned and got into it with Jane Leaves. I can't remember who it was. There was a, you know, yes. it was a pretty starry little cast, right? And um, they did all these old Python sketches, Spanish Inquisition whatnot. And uh, he's remained mates with him. And so we're, we're friendly, of course, but it, it, it's going to be good fun. He sat in with us in Seattle some years ago. Um, and uh, I think that's what we're going to talk about, that little incident, because it's it's pretty <laughs> sexy little night. I met Boz Gags at a oyster bar. I'm not kidding. And by the which, by the way, is the first line in my new song. I met Boz Gags at an oyster bar. We were sitting right. Boz Gags at an oyster bar, right? Like a, a, I was walking. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. Yeah, I was sitting in an oyster bar in uh, Seattle. Matt's in the market. In uh, more than an oyster bar. More than an oyster bar. More than an oyster bar to me. And uh, I was getting some lunch, and a, a cat came in, and he had orange glasses. So I knew he was rock. He was wearing orange tinted glasses. And we he sent back two glasses. And he tried, well, they have a beautiful uh, uh, cellar there, right? They have loads this of is wa- at lunch. Matt's at the market, right? Well, you took me the first time. No, but at lunch, he's sending... No, no, it's lunch. It's out. lunch. I wasn't drinking because I was going to go back to the room and take a nap, right? I was going to have, like, my fish and then go back. He comes in and he, he orders a glass of wine, tastes it, goes, mm, no, no. But he didn't send it back like Alan Rickman. No, he didn't go, I can't drink this unpalatable swill. Why don't you bring me something that's not plonk if you have anything in that cellar or whatever you call it downstairs? No. He was as low-key and rock as you met him. This is Bob Skaggs. So, yes, that's the one. Babies in the running round, hanging with the crowd, putting your business in the street, talking out loud. Saying you went home with her and how much you don't spend. I swear she must believe you better turn that chick around. Um, that boss gags. And, uh, of course, leader. <laughs> um, which he sings in concert and they're great. And he still sounds exactly the same. He's, yeah, he's he very, very peppy. And he's, by the way, His quite a great band. guitar player. Yeah. But boss can play a little guitar. Willie Weeks. Willie Weeks. Uh, Charlie Sexton. He had a, he had a, Oh, and the keyboard player's name, I forgot. That, that guy was substantial. Jennifer had never been to like a Yacht Rock show before. She quite enjoyed it. But that's, I'm getting past myself here. So we go to the, I went to the Mites in the Market, which is a place Jennifer and I have frequented. And I have brought the Who's Line guys there because. Um, I'm quite happy that I discovered it. Mm, it's only gotten better over the years. First of all, it has two bathrooms now. Like it has a dedicated bathroom. <laughs> inside the restaurant you used to have to go down the hall and use a right, key like right, a filling station because right. it's in pike's market right it's in the it's in the heart of the matter right you could you could watch people f- fling a tuna, from the window yeah. a tuna yeah. at each other right a, a tuna takes flight a tuna is, yeah. enjoys the gift of flight and that's what uh, dan did who owns the joint he's flipped fish for seven years really? yeah and then he bought he saved up enough money pikes used to be kind of run down and so the upstairs was like a little nothing spot and he blew it out, put in a giant kitchen area, and awesomely got a liquor license with a bar that 
Well, in any case, we were talking about Joel and, and the importance of place and a gathering spot and creating that magic. It doesn't just happen. No. Also, the food and the view at Mass in the Market. You can see Puget Sound and the giant sign that says Pike's Market. That's and it doesn't it. have to be. Oh, it doesn't have white tablecloths or anything. I no. mean, that's the essence of a hang. The, I right? had the last time I was there, Jennifer. I had the crab sandwich. I sent you pictures of it. That was February twenty twenty. Um, yeah, I know. I shouldn't have been on the road, you guys. I get it. Anyway, the, <sighs> the time before that, I was there. At, so I'm sitting at the counter because I'm by myself, and um, Boz comes in. I don't know yet. I mean, I do, and. Uh, he tastes some wine. The guy, he says, let me try this wine. You know, this whatever, Zinfandel. I'm just making it up. Like, uh, whatchamacallit. Um, what's the picture with uh, Paul Giamatti? Sideways. Yeah, like sideways. When he goes, if she orders a... A Merlot. I'm leaving. And then they said to him, the director, what, why did you say Merlot? And he right, goes, Alexander I Payne said he had no idea about I just picked wine. the word Merlot. He yeah, goes, he I had, didn't actually know. That. He doesn't know anything about Right, wine. and Merlot producers were angry because he had dissed their wine. Hell yeah. Yeah. If she orders Merlot, I'm fucking leaving. Um, <laughs> so he orders whatever, a Zinfandel, a Liebfraumulch. And, um, really? No one orders that. And it, he tastes it and goes, mm, not this one. And I was like, mm, discerning. And then I, we hadn't spoken yet, right? Up to this point, I had not met James Garner. And <laughs> it's like, then the, he brings him a second glass of wine, the bartender. Very, and of course, they're adroit and attentive. You know, the staff there are beautiful. And he hasn't abashed at all. These are wine drinkers. This is Washington State where everybody, like California, has a fucking opinion. Yeah. So he tests another one. Mm-mm. Now we're at the level where we're, we're talking about a British nobleman of the 18th century. So he accepts the third glass. And then I follow him chatting with him. And finally he turns to me and goes, why do I know you, man? <laughs> and I go, I'm from San Francisco, I go, you're Boz, right? And he's like, yeah. I go, well, I used to work on Union Street near the Blue Light, right? Like, he owned the Blue Light on Union Street. And then you and I used to go to Slim's. Slim's. Which was a famous nightclub in San Francisco for years that literally had everybody. Was we that saw, where you saw Bootsy? I saw Bootsy there. You and I saw Marianne Faithful there. It was eclectic. Yep. It was eclectic. David Bowie? You and I saw David Bowie there on a breakfast show. In the morning. At a breakfast show. It was 7 in the in morning. In the morning. We saw David Bowie at... Slims, but that's how cool Slims was. Like I wouldn't say it was ultra hip, you know, Uber underground. It was an eclectic nightclub that was for everybody kind of place. Small, intimate. You got a good view and smoky in the old days, and then not so smoky. They had to close a couple years ago, but Boss did everything for the Bay Area. Like he's from Texas. But he moved there. He's in Steve Miller's band, whatnot, and then. But he's been in San Francisco for a thousand years. He has a wine. Forty years. Oh, more. Um. And anyway, when, so... I used I, to wait on him in the 80s. Right, because then he lived in Marin. Now he's up no, in he, wine he, country or something. Oh, yeah. Well, it doesn't now, matter. Now we're, we're going to his, Yeah, now we're, now we're stalking him. No, no, but now we're being like, you know, as San Franciscans... Right, completely do. provincial. What what street was it on, Jennifer? <laughs> was that in the Mission or the Outer no, but I, Mission? I, I did, and this is the most 80s things possible. Um, I helped him... Pick out a blueberry vinegar. Wow. At a go make, uh, Why did I always think it was raspberry olive oil? I changed it for myself. <laughs> blueberry vinegar. Let me start over. I, I helped him pick out a, a blueberry vinegar at a gourmet market in uh, Polk Street area. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a habitué. 
Right. You would see him. I used to see Fee Weibel in my neighborhood in the 80s. He used to go to the market down the street from me and he drove a sports car. Really? Fee Weibel from the Tubes. He's our good friend now, but I used to salute him sometimes when he'd stand on the corner and he'd salute me back. We had no idea. He had no idea that this is the early 80s. The Tubes were, you know, massive on the road and Europe and everything. Anyways, so I says to Boz, Boz says I. Really? Are you working? And he says, yeah, man. But we're not working tonight. We did a place in whatever last night, and we're doing a place in tomorrow tomorrow night. But I had a night off in Seattle, and I came here, and I said, this is my favorite restaurant in Seattle. And he goes, me too. And I go, well, <laughs> oh, come to the gig tonight. It's who's lawn and shit. And he goes, all right, what do I do? I go, well, just show up the thing. And this is how cool he is, and this is what I love about the people that we get are lucky enough to meet. I left his name or something, but he came through the side and all of a sudden was on stage. And Bob, our <laughs> keyboard player, Bob Durkatch, the catch of the day, goes, Bob Skaggs comes by. And I go, Bob Skaggs. And I go, I really loved your music. You really changed my life and shit. And Bob's like, thanks, man. Do you know where the thing is? And Bob goes, they're upstairs. So we're upstairs drinking. Fucking Bob Skaggs comes up. I'm like, everybody, Bob Skaggs. Bob Skaggs, everybody. I poured him a fucking solo cup full of vodka, right? We has, we're drinking in solo cups, the red solo cups, because we're at a frat party. And he sat with us and fucking riffed and drank his vodka, and then it was showtime. Then Eric Idol got up at that show. And then after the show, I got to say the actual words, Eric, do you know Boz Skaggs? And he went, well, no, I don't. And now Eric is doing your next show, <laughs> which is awesome. But... They're both been around forever. They're both awesome. But we were just talking about, like, you know, the essence of... of Have a clubhouse. Right. Cafe Lou and Joe Allen's. And the idea that at the Wolsey, I remember seeing... They, they tried to do us every kindness and see us... And we were not happy... You and I were with Josie, and we were like, but this isn't our table. And they were like... Do you mean, whose line's Josie Lawrence? Yeah. And we were like, well, what about this table? And they were like, no, no, you want this table. And then finally we looked up, and we realized that they wanted to seat us next to Brian Ferry. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you're trying to no, we'll actually... What did the waiter say to you when he put you next to Keanu? Oh, my God. Remember? He sat you... Oh, no, it was the maitre d'. He sat you next to Keanu, and he went... What was it? Don't say I've ever not done anything. Yes. It? Oh, please be kind. Yes. Which you think of me. If you speak of me. Yeah. Remember me with kindness. Oh, no. It was midnight, and we were the only other people in the restaurant. For me, it's veal and mashed potatoes there. But there's also that one salad that's really good. Is it the chicken salad? Or and, am I thinking of and the And what I love sweet? is, I think one of the finest performances at the Wolseley was uh, Jeremy Irons, who was emoting while... Somehow, he was overacting at dinner. He was overacting putting his coat away. And by the way, he is as gorgeous and oh, he's tall gorgeous. as in person as he is in the pictures. And it was just hilarious. No, no, no. Let me take... Here, give me my scarf. I'm going to put my coat on. I just want to... Ah, ha, 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 ha. No, I have a glass of wine. Yeah. Rolling his own cigarettes. <laughs> You're like, what's happening? Yeah, he was just... What are you doing? He was dominating the dining why, room. He was flooding the zone, just, as they say. Why can't you just put your... The times we've seen him in public, he's completely <laughs> overdoing it. When we saw him at the uh, uh, Saatchi Art Gallery, he was on... 
his not his knees. He was crouching with was his crouching. hands out, making a frame. He was, he was using his thumbs to make a frame like this. He was being the most irritating his, person. Well, in you his say a Damien Hurst, a Damien Hurst. You're going to want to put it. No in one. And, and by the way, it was the creme de la creme, and no one was looking at the artwork, and he was the only person. No, we were all drinking because they were pink artwork. lemonade and vodka. Was it? That was the drink that night. Really? Yeah, it was God, pink lemonade and vodka. Out. No, it was great. He was pretending with his thumbs. Jennifer Saunders was there. To make angles. Uh, Gavin Rossiel and Gwen Stefani were there. That was a good party. Uh, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, wish you happy birthday. Uh, wish you birthday. And, and Jeremy Irons was literally the only person. And he had jeans tucked into boots. He had was, he had uh, uh, camo pants or like uh, khaki pants tucked into boots. He was trying to act like he was interested in the artwork. Which no one else was, to their credit. Was the shark there? Yes. The Damien Hurst shark was there. Yeah. In another room. But Jeremy Irons was literally doing the framing thing with his hands and yeah. squatting and and really laying it down to the poor, poor put upon people. It was excellent. It was a show. He it was, was doing so a one, good. one man show. And then the other time I saw him was with Sean. And that was at a Burkhoff play in the West End in the early 90s. And he wasn't being outrageous, but he wore a do you remember your green suit that you had from Christopher Street in London yes, yes. that you wore to Rome? He had a green suit on like that. A green suit. It was like he was the Riddler or whatever. It was great. Of course he did. But he didn't... He wasn't showing off at that one. At the Saatchi Gallery and at the Wolseley, he was definitely drawing himself to the center. If you guys wonder why I do Jeremy Irons all the time... <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm the smartest man in the world. We've been doing a study of him. <laughs> We've been stalking him since the 90s. Well, I wouldn't call it stalking. More like moonlighting. <laughs> Crepuscular. Um, he said his favorite word was crepuscular. There's Who so many says things that? that he can't... Why would you say that in know. an interview? I don't know. It's just... What about the uh, uh, but, cheese ad that he did for Marks and Sparks at Christmas where he goes, cheese, <laughs> Marks and Spencer has it for the Christmas holiday. He actually laughs at the thought of cheese in a lascivious way. Like, what are you doing with it? Well, he, he's not quite human. And that's why I think he was kind of friends with Christopher Lee. It's the other reason why. Because they didn't know how to be human. Right. The two best Die Hard movies are the first they one and the third one. because and looking and nothing else. Because Alan Rickman and Jeremy Irons are the bad guys and they're supposed to be brothers. And, <laughs> and that is the other best part of that. And they're doing crappy German accents that come and go through the whole movie that at no point... As far as I know, the only Holy Toledo. funny thing Jeremy Irons has ever done is pretend to be Alan Rickman yes. in the French and Saunders send-up. Parody of Harry Potter. Yes. He says, um, do I have any lines in this scene? <laughs> Given him a wig. They've given him an Alan Rickman wig. To be Alan Rickman. They've given him the Alan Rickman wig. But that was his only line in the sketch. As I, or maybe one or two. Do I have any lines in this scene? I'm so bored. <laughs> but at least I think he might get how he comes across. I'm not sure. Like Christopher um, Lee, I'm not. I'm not altogether sure. In my life, I've met a bunch I love of actors, both of them, and they're insane. Right. Who that question could be asked about. Uh, uh, to a small degree, Kim Novak, because Kim Novak has to know. But then no, when you but I, I felt reborn meeting and talking to Kim Novak because I felt traumatized by 
her role. All of her motion pictures. All of her motion pictures, but specific. I mean, we won't even get to Lila Claire, but certainly Vertigo. Oh my God, Lila. But then meeting her, and she was just sexy and tall. Swank. And uh, her voice was low, and she was just no. But she had a command. Oh yeah, she was a star. And I thought, oh, you're okay. No, yeah, I great. don't feel bad anymore yeah. about where you're going because you've got it sussed. Mm-hmm. And you're happy with what you've, you've done. left show business because you got it and you didn't like it. Yeah. So you quit doing it. And, and I you're thought, happy now too. Right. And she was happy to come back and visit it. Oh, she was. Because that was TCM she before was, she went to the Oscars. And she all was that. sexy. Really sexy. No, it was after, after. the Oscars. It was, she was dead sexy. But I was going to say, uh, I met Adam West and William Shatner. And Adam West and William Shatner, you always thought, do they understand? <laughs> right. And the answer is yes. They, they both they, they have a, a they deep have a sense of humor. and profound comprehension of it. And they both have a sense of humor. And on top of it, are good souls. They're good guys. Yeah. And the joke, it's okay. William Shatner today tweeted, and I'm not kidding. I was reading it today. Um, someone wrote something about Kirk and he went, look, in my, in my life, I've perhaps done three years worth of Captain Kirk. So I'm turning ninety in March. That's only point three percent. You know, like you. Didn't he kiss you? Yes, he did. That he's so the guy goes. He goes. I'm not trying to put you he's down. He's like a party. So when we did uh, Space Ready Cadets to happen. in '96 or whatever in Glasgow, we had Walter Koenig, we had Ed Bishop from UFO, we had um, Angela Rippon, we had Terry Pratchett, which a lot of our sci-fi yep, fans will yep. really appreciate. We had, um, what was her name, uh, Claudia Christian from uh, Deep Space Nine. We had the Ferengis, the guy who played the Ferengis. Um, can't remember his bloody name. He was bloody marvelous. Um, you had Craig Charles. Craig Charles. And was my, uh, I was on a show from with Red Bill, superstars in England, Bill Bailey and Craig Charles. And I was the host. Anyway, it was really fun. And um, Oh, and uh, by the way, all the writers on the show, mm-hmm. Ford and uh, Greg Hempel... Um, have all gone on to giant fame in Scotland. They were writers on this nice. show. And they were the one who wrote the line, Wine Me, Dine Me, Deep Space Nine Me, which was, I thought, one of the funniest. <laughs> wine Me, Dine Me, Deep Space Nine Me. Um, anyway, Shatner came on the show, and um, we were backstage in the green room, and we chatted. And I said to him, Bill, how did you get over? Um, what airline did you take? And he said, Wait, we took Virgin Atlantic. And I said, they're nice, aren't they? And he goes, yeah, it's great. They're, they're nice. And, and that was when I thought, you're not acting. You know, you're not acting. Right, right. You're, you, what you're doing is you're Bill Shatner. And then isn't it, isn't it great that Nichelle Nichols and George Takei and William Shatner are yeah. still with us? Very much so. And, and George Takei is awesome. When I was on a plane with George Takei, uh, it, it, might have gone better socially. However, he did say this to the, the um, flight attendants on Air Canada. We were going to um, Calgary, I think. And he goes, so, he was with his husband. And he, he said, he turns to the flight attendants. And of course, they're losing their minds, right? The, the flight attendants are losing their minds on this Air Canada flight. Because Admiral, I mean, uh, Captain Sulu is in the house. Uh, Jeff... Uh, Davis texted me and went, Captain Sue was in the house, look alive. <laughs> and so we get on the plane and he goes, may I have a blanket against these icy Canadian winds? And everybody was like, everybody, everybody was and, delighted. All know, ahead can flow. we just take a moment for Nichelle Nichols and George Takei being 
gorgeous. awesome and being super sexy. That was a big deal in the 60s. You mean to have an Asian and an African-American woman on the, as leads in a show? And that were there but, every but week? But also, they, they were... Great looking. But they were... They had their own autonomy. They were... They're officers, yeah. Yeah. They weren't uh, knuckle and under. She no. was the communications officer, no. and he was the no. uh, had the calm. Uh, yeah, uh, you take a lot of liberties, Lieutenant. And then there's the episode where he gets his shirt off and he's a swordsman. And you're like, oh, George. No, George Takei is also in an internment camp. They have so much to tell America. Oh God, he was. In... Michelle Nicole, Michelle Nicole, and George Takei have everything to teach America. Still, yeah, they do. Uh, the Proof Cast is the 28th. Uh, anyway, Eric Idle's on that show. Uh, and yes, I introduced him to Buzz Gags. You'll hear that story I love again. That segue. There's so many. Well, you're talking about George K. You and I stalked Tishira Mafuni once at the, at the Cherry Blossom Festival uh, slash I didn't feel bad film about festival. That. No, at the Kabuki Theater in San Francisco. I, I only wish that we had ever been able to stalk Marcello Mastriani. We did stalk Max von Sydow. Yes. But- and we met Belmondo. Right. But I was never able to stalk Marcello Mastriani. Yeah. And, and we've seen Sophie Lauren. To my great re- regret. No, Marcello. I would have given anything to have uh, coffee. Well, as, as Fellini called it, restaurant rapport. Restaurant rapport. Well, there's nothing like a three and a half hour meal to really get things going. Right. With some wine and some cigarettes and some dessert and some what? <laughs> February 28th, live poop cast. Do you remember this picture? You took it in Western Australia. That was Perth. That was Perth. Uh, which uh, included such... I take all the photos. Yeah, you do. Did you take that one? No, you didn't do that one. You took that one. Mm-hmm. That one in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, Perth. And the best part of Perth is... Um, You're the furthest away that you can be. Well, there's that. But still, still we weren't near enough to a quokka. No. I was going to say, uh, uh, I'll tell you a story about a woman I know. Bond. Isn't Bond from, yeah. Yes. When it comes to love. Ain't exactly pretty. Ain't exactly tall. If I vote, then you can say she's got it all. <laughs> never met a woman, never met a woman like you. You were complaining about my playing free jazz earlier. You're, and you're going to play it right now. The Proofcast is on the 28th. Who's Live is on the 20th with Eric Idle. The stand-up shows on the 18th. GregProofs.com is where it all happens. Yeah, the show's running in at about three and a half hours now, so maybe we get to Milford Graves. Lo- pack a lunch. Right? Packalini. I'm going to get some ice while we... Uh, uh, Milford Graves is uh, an astonishing figure in jazz in so much as he was a... Uh, a gardener, a martial artist, oh my God. A, a, li- a health list, food advocate. The list of his, uh, a true multi-hyphenate. He was an acupuncturist, a herbalist, a martial artist, a programmer, professor. Um, he performed live after his diagnosis. That's according to Brooklyn Vegan. He was a really beautiful person who was a teacher for many years at the Bennington College. Oh, he taught for 39 years. What? Right? 39 years. Um, there's actually a Chick Corea left us to this week. And 
he was in a band with Chikoria. Milford Graves was in a band with Chikoria in the early 60s. Um, that is the breadth and scope. He did free jazz for a great deal of his career. He he did many things. He was a, he was an accompanist to Miriam Makiba. He was uh, did a band. He was in a band with Lou Reed, but Lou Reed. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that might have been because of their shared love of martial arts and also oh, ex- right. experimentation. Yeah. Milford um, Graves formed his own version of martial arts because he was that amazing. Mm-hmm. And as you said, was a mentor to loads of young cats. He was diagnosed with a heart condition. And the weird thing is that he'd been studying heartbeat as a source of rhythm since the seventies. And he said, it's like some higher power saying, okay, buddy, you wanted to study this. Here you go. Now the challenge is inside of me. He won uh, an award, by the way, to study that particular thing. And this is what I wanted his, I was playing some of his pieces with Albert Ayler, um, who, by the way, I wanted to find this on my timeline. Um, He and Albert Ayler were... You're talking free jazz now. No, I'm saying that they performed at John Coltrane's funeral service in 1967. And they were followed by Ornette Coleman. Wow. So, you know... Dig you that. have some of that? Dig that. Spill. Well. Um, because Milford Graves was true to his muse he actually dissociated himself professionally from Albert Ayler because he thought Albert Ayler was getting too commercial what yeah you mean making money and being successful yeah I mean that that is just awesome and it reminds me of Nick Drake saying that to John Martin but this is sell out this is a quote that I just thought was unbelievably beautiful there there's a documentary about Milford Graves and it's called Full Mantis. And in it, the director says, Jake McGinsky, who is his student, mm-hmm. says that he talked to him about how people would reject avant-garde music. And he said... He would be playing in a church or a community center where people would be coming for other things than music or the music was popular music. And he was experiencing in the early to mid 1960s, different kinds of angry reactions to what he was doing. He decided he would do a lithograph, which would say something like what's about to happen. You don't need to fully understand 
Just take it in. It'll be over in 45 minutes. <laughs> and you can take it with you and do what you want with it. He would put that out on every seat with a piece of mint leaf or something to smell. He found that after, which is profound because he's also a, a, a deep gardener. Yeah. He found that after he did that, the reaction of the audience would totally change. And he'd get a lot of people coming up to him after that they'd never heard anything like that. And they appreciated that. Right. Instead of just, oh, this is noise. Isn't that I don't like cool? It. Yeah. But like letting them know, like, well, maybe this isn't something that you. But also, you, before you've started, you've engaged them in several more senses. But also Touch, smell, care. Uh, taste, and, and, and sight. God, I love that. Before that was from The Quietus, by the way. That was an interview That's a story The Quietus, which play, is a, a play great, a jam, Liam. great space. Um, play a groovy jam. Here he is. He's a drummer. Yeah. This is him with Albert Ayler from 67. By the way, he put out an album of all percussion where every piece is entitled nothing. I mean, it, he takes Cecil Taylor to another Cecil Taylor place, right? Richard General, thank you. He unstrung his drums, right? Yes. He unstrung the bottoms of the yes. toms because he didn't want them to have... He, like, tried to approach percussion. He played sometimes with not drumsticks, but with, like, just anything he found or sticks. He he, he experimented utterly with the, the concept of yes. music, the, the concept of percussion. It, the, he's he's a, a teacher more than... Yeah. Well, like, Ornette Coleman, when we saw him, and he said, what are you trying to do? And so he said, teach. I kind of feel like no, he's really that person. Well... And the fact that Ornette Coleman followed them at the at John mm. Coltrane's funeral, that I for the longest time I had this piece on my computer uh, because I kept going back to it, which is him. Uh, it's called "Some Plant Stuff Man Attending uh, the Global Garden with Milford Graves," and it was just about I he was. He inherited his grandmother's house in Jamaica, Queens, and he turned it into the garden, into an herbal garden where he taught uh, local musicians. And I think he that was his caretaking of trying to keep them well. There's a picture of them with all the local guys. Right. It's so wild. And just, you know, he had that space and it it also reminds me of that Cecil Taylor also owned his house in Brooklyn mm. and the importance of being grounded in a community and letting people in. And, and he was trying to Milford look at his garden. Graves was trying to, he, he was a martial artist too. He was an acupuncturist. The, the scope of what he was into and the fact that he had this heart condition and that he actually got a, a grant to study the beat of the heart when he said, this is what I've always been right. doing. And that was not that long ago that he got that grant, by the way, which is just phenomenal because he was a seeker. And he was 
also a healer. Yeah, he's a really unique figure. He's amazing. And he worked with Chick Corea. Yeah, he did. Which, aren't we going to talk about right Chick now? Corea? Uh, Mr. Graves is... Uh, I don't know if he's swirling in the stars so much as he's already lined the stratosphere up with a bunch of things we're supposed to know. Chick Corea. What do you say about Chick Corea? 50 years. He was... When we were in high school, he was a very famous jazz musician. Kind of made it a little after Herbie Hancock, even though they started sort of around the same time. Um, he studied with Salvatore Sulo, a concert pianist with the world-renowned Boston Pops. He's from Boston, Chick. His grandmother gave him the name. She would pinch him and call him Cheeky. It was Cheeky. Armando, right? Yeah. Uh, under the baton of Leopold Stokowski. A classical pianist of solo standing would have seen a real talent in Korea. This is from Jazz Wise. Before considering taking on the young eight-year-old, I had some good teachers, Korea said. My dad was a good teacher. I think and I had a piano teacher when I was about eight years old for many years, who was Salvatore Sulo, who was a great classical pianist. He used to play concerti with the Boston Pops. I became one of his students, and he introduced me to classical music. And it was interesting, but the best training for me was always getting involved. Taking whatever I learned from Solo and my dad and exploring it myself. He made so many albums. We and were so lucky many... enough to see his 75th birthday. Wasn't that amazing? Concert, which was over six weeks. And we got to see one night of that. And he did it when Blue he was Note. 60, 70, and 75. He did magisterial right? installations. But he, was he had months. so many different incarnations yeah. that it was six weeks with different bands. With 60 different... Uh, a, a different band every night or every couple of nights. Uh, uh, the Return to Forever configuration, J Mahavishnu, John mm -hmm. McLaughlin and him, uh, Gary Burton, like everything. We saw him with Robbie Coltrane. Mm. And so here's a little classical from Chick Corea. <laughs> Mozart. He improvises on it. He improvises on it. jazz meeting classical he made um, records for children disaffected children he said and I wanted to play one of these it's called children's song number one this is from 2018 and he's revisiting a record he did in the 70s children's records
played with a million hip outfits, you know, Herbie Mann, and then of course got that giant gig with Miles Davis, Horace Silver, someone that he really admired, and Horace Silver is just an astonishing piano player and composer. When we saw him at Blue Note, he was so just at ease and happy. And he it was a really joy. a lovely... What was the song that he kind of Gershwin. laughingly started over again? Wasn't it Gershwin? Yeah. Well, here, well, let me see if I can... It's not this one, but he did do a Gershwin uh, concert. Let's see here. Let's dig in here. a light and playful touch mm. and as a band leader when we saw him with Robbie Coltrane and the band and all that it was a great quintet or sextet and I remember when they get to certain parts he'd rise up off the bench and go let's go he'd say the words let's no, go to the band so when happy. they were going into the changes and stuff so happy he, he there was nothing but joy from him there was no a, a fulminating brow bending or consternation at all we've seen Keith Jarrett we've seen Sonny Rollins we've seen uh, Terrence Blanchard. I, I loved how uh, much he and Herbie Hancock loved each other. But they do love each other. There's a great article in the Detroit Free Press, if you want to read it, um, that com- goes into great uh, length about um, them together, and it's really worth reading. Uh, let's see here. I just wanted to. Well, then, of course, came Fusion. Uh, let's see if there's any of the Miles Band. Well, that's him playing drums in Miles Band. Hair's Return to Forever Beyond the Seventh Galaxy. Uh, a couple different guitar players, but of course, Stanley Clark and Lenny White, and then Bill Connors, and then later Al Damiella. And that was when I bought a cassette that I played in my Vega. Did you all ever through. see them? Yeah, but I had a cassette that I played <laughs> in my Vega. And now we're into a new groovy kind of jazz that's got... Oh, he's playing electric piano here, which is... I never understood that he was Italian-American. No, he seemed like a Latin-American dude. Right. This is so 70s, it's just great. looks engaged he always looks really here's my defense of fusion it's funky and percussive and i i just you know everybody made a great fusion album he's in miles band for bitches brew i mean like he's yeah it's it's uh it's not the in the documentary do you remember does he also do an impression of miles davis because almost everyone does which is hilarious not only just chicory do one he goes he he goes, Marcy, now nah, nah, you got to play like it's beep, boo, doo, ba, ba, ba. And then he goes, yeah, I'd make, uh, he'd come over to my apartment and I'd, um, I'd Was make he the fish one that cooked for him. For him? Yeah, oh, I'd I make love fish. That. I love That's that. That's what Chakria said about Miles Davis. So a couple. Here's Return uh, to Forever. And I have to play you this one because, just because. And it's Return to Forever. And then I'm going to play some hits here. Well, he only has a million. He's in a, he has astonishing breath. 
as much as any jazz musician, really tests uh, your imagination. This is his most famous, I think, if we're going to talk about, like, famous oh, records. No, I think he's really accessible. And he, and he has so many different bands. Yeah. This is Spain, that classic. Which doesn't it remind you of Miles? It is. Based on Miles. people write me and say I'm listening to Spain all day <laughs> you know when we saw him he was so joyful and so bitchin McChicken and what a great band now this one was suggested to me by a cat who wrote me on and it's fan mail for Greg at gmail.com and it's Bobby McFerrin and him riffing and this one's Dexter Gordon's number around midnight and it's him and Bobby McFerrin live riffing Awesome. Fun classics. Bobby McFerrin's an astonishing vocalist. feel accessible, right? Bobby McFerrin and Chick Corea make that kind of, you know, transgressive edge of music feel super accessible. Yeah, it reminds me of what Jim Sweeney said about improvisation for comedy, and if I can transfer it over. It's a, they know their instrument and the genre and what they're doing so well, that they're experts in it, that they're they are allowed then to do whatever they wish within the, the. There's no confines. If you know all the rules, then the rules don't matter anymore. It's also that the two of them are really, uh, they're very mellow people that can translate intuition and uh, uh, you know mellifluousness go a long way. I think that they're they're. I think Chick Corea has astonishing taste for someone whose career is so long. And his willingness, as he said, the only thing that bores me is doing the same thing over and over, which is why he changed incarnations a thousand times like Miles did. And when you're that profound as an artist that you recognize that within your own limitations that you're going to 
be shitty if you keep doing the same thing. And so he's a Latin back. He's a fusion back. He does standards. He does classical music. He does jazz. He did, when we saw him, that was straight up jazz. He did a Gershwin yeah. number on the night. Yeah. Um, I know we're playing a lot of ethereal stuff, so maybe something a little funkier. Um, Again, going back to Milford Graves, Uh I can't get over that he parted ways with Albert Ayler Ayler over (laughs) him being too commercial. Natural funky, right? Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. There's no replacing Chick Corea. We're lucky we got to see him. He uh, passed away from cancer and too soon. In his 70s? Really? I wasn't ready for that. Nope. No one's ready. He gave everything he had to this world. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool pub bell. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. By the way, the Negro League Museum is doing uh, a 101st anniversary celebration. If you give them a dollar and one cent, um, it will go a long way to keeping black heritage going in Black History Month. Chick Korea. 